Well, a couple other quick announcements before I get into the homily, which is um, there's a priest in the confessional. If anybody needs uh, to avail themselves or wants to at this time, I want to make it as convenient as possible so that you don't go through Lent without getting to confession, which would, of course, be a disgrace. <laughs> right? So, so there is uh, Father Swink is there in the confessional. Um, also, the, the new the re renovated restrooms are now open in the back. So uh, I know it's been a, a long <laughs> slug. Some of you have tried to do renovations in your home, I know, and you know that it's always complicated, always complicated. So, but uh, we have a lot to be grateful for Kim and some of the other staff, and we've really worked hard to get those things. It's been, it's been a long effort, though, as you know. So they're open. Hallelujah. All right. Oops. I'm not supposed to say that word. Okay. Not during Lent. All right, so today our catechumens are once again with us, and um, this go these Gospels of these last three Sundays of Lent are meant to prepare to prepare the um, uh, catechumens, but again, all of us for the, uh, the for, you know for the for the baptism that they're about to receive. In the Eastern tradition, the, the name for this sacrament of baptism is often, uh, they say sometimes baptism, but also they'll say holy enlightenment because it is through baptism that we who were blind now can see. And that's what this gospel is about today. There's a, the title of the message is just drawn from the gospel. I went, he says, the man, he says, I went, I washed, and now I see. That's baptism, you see. I went, I washed, and I came back able to see. So there we have then this magnificent uh, kind of summary of why this gospel is here for us on this particular Sunday in Lent. With that in mind, I want to just say that the, um, as we begin, we, it's a lengthy gospel, so we can't look at every detail, but on the other hand, we, we ought to be interested, first of all, to note that the, the man who was blind from birth is not named. And he's not named because if you're prepared to accept it, he's you, he's me. We're the blind man. We were born blind, and we're able to see now if we're baptized but um, we're not talking about physical seeing here, but a, a richer kind of seeing. But we are blind, we're born blind. Through baptism, we're enlightened, we're made able to see. But then, like this man, we have to go in stages or in journeys to really be able to see the Lord. You'll see that he makes progress in this gospel. It's not just Shazam! And I come back, I, I see it all now. It's, it's not quite that simple. There's just some stages that he goes through and we go through who want to be able to see. But we begin then with this simple fact. This is not just a story about a man 2,000 years ago who was blind from birth, uh, had not seen, and now the Lord lets, enables him to see. This is also about us. This was our condition. And this is our condition until we're baptized. You say, well, I see just fine. You're the one who's wearing glasses up there, preacher. I, my eyes just, they're fine. Well, you know, that's what we might call physical or worldly seeing. But you know, I would simply say that um, 
As the first reading says, man sees just the appearance of things, but God looks into the heart, our heart and the heart of all things. You see, we live in a world that is filled with mystery. Now, mystery doesn't mean that um, I gotta solve something. Who done it? Uh, you know, we're gonna watch an episode of The Closer, or we're gonna, you know, the, the, you know, some kind of a, a murder mystery. And we got who done it? You know, and that's gotta be solved. But rather, no. In the Christian tradition, mystery means something which we see partially, but much more of which lies hidden from our view. And we need to make a journey closer and closer to the heart of the Lord to see past the mere appearances of things and see their deeper meaning. Let, let me just give you a simple example that sometimes the appearances, there's more behind the scenes. So let's just say you and I are at a party and Jones walks in the door and one comes, comes right across the room very quickly towards Smith and grabs Smith's hands with both of his hands and shakes it vigorously. And I say, wow. And you say, well, what's the big deal? People shake hands every day. Smith and Jones have been enemies for 40 years. You see, so there's more to that moment than appears simply to our eyes. The appearance, just two people shaking hands, big deal. But now you know they've been enemies for 40 years. You're like, oh. There's a lot more to the story. And this is just a simple human example. But you see, this is our journey that we go through life and we go through ups and downs, sufferings, milestones, good things, bad things, and so on. And we can just sort of have a plottishly worldly way of seeing things. But at the end of the day, life is far more rich with meaning if we see them with and through the eyes of God. And that's why, you see, we have to understand that our ability to see is meant to grow. We're meant to grow in a deeper relationship with God so that we see things that we did not see and hear things that we did not hear. Because now, with the mind of Christ growing within us, we see things in a different, a richer, and a more beautiful way. We often see things that look like defeat, like the crucifix we see victory. So, let's make this journey now, accepting that we are the man born blind. That's he's us, we are him. And let's accept then what the Lord does in his life and how he does it. The apostles are all upset. Well, you know, there was a kind of a concept in the ancient world that um, if somebody was in this condition, either blind or some other deformity or, you know, what have you, or some other misfortune, they must have sinned. Or maybe their parents sinned, but, you know, their idea was that there, somebody must have sinned. And the Lord says, no, no, don't go there. Sometimes our sufferings are just a prelude to the glory of God. And I want you to see past the world's way of seeing things. And I want you to see something richer, that even in your sufferings, it's not about sin necessarily. It's about, it's about the glory of God shining forth even through human weakness, and especially in human weakness, to make it clear that the surpassing glory is from God and not from us. Now, so Jesus dismisses their worldly way of seeing this man, 
And he says, this man is going to be instrumental in my plan because we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Most everybody would just say, well, this poor guy, you know, he must have sinned or his parents, but look at him, he's blind. When he jangles the cup, well, I'll throw him a few coins. Pity the fool, you know, poor guy. And the Lord says, no, he's a bearer of light and of glory, and I'm going to unleash that glory. So the Lord already challenges us to see differently than what the world sees. Now, we see that uh, there is um, this man, and Jesus comes up to him. And he said, he, spe he spits on the ground, he makes paste and covers the man's eyes, and then sends him to Siloam, to the pool, to wash. It says he went, he washed, and he came back able to see. Now again, that is baptism. It's a symbol of baptism. It's what's supposed to happen to us and does happen to us if we are baptized. Now, we'll look at, at a, an important distinction in a moment, but here's the vision. The Lord sees our condition, and then he goes to work. It says that the man went, he washed, and it says he came back able to see. To be able to see does not mean that you see yet. For example, I am able to see the Statue of Liberty, but not right now. <laughs> I have to get on a train or a plane or something and go up there and see it. So, you see, I'm able, to be able to see is not the same as seeing. And therefore, again, we all have to go through something called kind of a post-baptismal formation or catechesis. You know, we love $10 words in the church, and we call this in the church mystagogia. Aren't you impressed? Mystagogia, you know. Or try to spell it, right? Like, how about, you know, try to spell pneumonia, ultra microscopic, vulconeosis, and while you're at it, okay? Aren't you even more impressed? All right. We love our big words, but basically, mystagogia means it's that, okay, you're baptized and you're able to see, but now you need to start seeing. Start, that, let the Lord go to work and enable this power you have within you, this enlightenment to reach you and to be unpacked and to lay, so that you can lay hold of this capacity now to see. Okay, so this is the first stage. He's baptized. He's now able to see, but his vision, if you will, now needs to be, he now needs to start seeing. And let's watch how he goes through. And I want you to notice the pattern. With each stage, his vision gets clearer. But the way his vision gets clearer is through persecution. It's interesting. We might like everything to be lovely in our life. I don't know about you, but I would. I'd sign up for that. But, you know, like St. John Chrysostom once said, he said, you know, go to more weddings. I mean, go to more funerals than weddings in your life. Because at weddings, we rightfully celebrate with mirth, with joy. But at weddings... We receive wisdom. I'm sorry, at funerals, we receive wisdom. And so again, we have to learn how to see, and very often it's persecution that helps us to see. Now, one of the understandings then of the church is that we have tended to only define things when we were attacked or when our teaching was somehow attacked. 
And then we have to sit down and say, what do we really think and believe and why? And why does it make sense? And how can we better articulate it? And that's the nature of persecution. It does that. It gets you thinking. And under your understanding can become deeper and richer. You become wise through suffering. And we see that in this man. So we find out that uh, he's now been, he comes back able to see. And everyone's amazed. And at first, there's a lot of paradox in this. <laughs> he was blind, but it's, it's, you see there's a lot of blindness in the people. They say, oh, look, he, he, the man born blind, he can see now. Look at that. He says, well, no, no, it just looks like him. That's not really him. <laughs> Who's really blind here, right? If I had a guy asked to say, hey, it's me. It is me. But if, again, first there, and so you say, well, how were your eyes open? Now listen to the way he speaks here. He says, how were your eyes open? How did this happen? The man they called Jesus smeared my eyes with clay and told me to go wash. I went, I washed, and I came back able to see. Now notice that, where, well, where is this guy, Jesus? I don't know. So, you see, he's been enlightened, but what does he know about Jesus? Not much. Some dude they called Jesus did this, and, uh, well, where is he? Uh, I don't know. Now, I hope I'm not talking about anybody here, but I'm going to tell you right now, that is about the degree of catechesis that an awful lot of Catholics and other Christians have today. Some dude named Jesus lived like a couple thousand years ago, and somehow he did something. He was a nice guy, and he gave us nice rules and told us to love one each other and, or something like that. I don't know. What, 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 what is he doing in your I don't know. Uh, do you ever go to you ever think about him? Not much. Where is he? What's this all about? I don't know. Some guy named Jesus. You know. well, what, what's it all about? I don't know. I hope that's not you. There's a lot of, here's some more $10 words for you. Among, among uh, catechists in the church, there's the fear that many people are sacramentalized but unevangelized. That is to say they've, they've, been, they've received the sacraments, went through, got baptized, got Holy Communion, First Confession, Confirmation, and, but they ain't really clued in. They just checked off the boxes, but they don't really know the Lord or much about Him. He's just some guy named Jesus. <laughs> Where is he? I don't know. I think he's up in heaven, wherever that is, you know. Wow. See? But nevertheless, it's a start, right? He does know at least that he can see now because someone named Jesus touched his eyes and told him to wash. And now he sees. Okay. So that's the first stage. They're kind of in a bit of attention. What's going on? How did this happen? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And, and it happened on the Sabbath. Now the persecutions start to mount up. We see that um, they take him to the Pharisees because this guy Jesus did this on the Sabbath. Somebody say, uh-oh. You know, there's a man born blind, and he's been healed, and they're worried about... Well, I'll give you an example why this is so petty. Let's say there's a, we all know there's a, a rule against jaywalking. Are you are we clear on that? You're not supposed to cross except at the light, you know, okay. But listen, if I'm across the street and you see me fall over with a heart attack or something, um, I'm going to ask you, please, don't worry about jaywalking. Now, be careful. Don't get hit by a car. But please, don't go, don't go to the light and wait. <laughs> You see, see how petty, you know? But he, whoa, he did this on the Sabbath, you know? All right. 
So again, we start to see that uh, the persecution begins, and they confront the man. Who is this guy named Jesus? Who do you think he is? He says, you know, he healed on the Sabbath. They had a debate among themselves first. They said, he can't be of God. Who would, well, anyone from God wouldn't do a healing on the Sabbath. And, well, I, I don't know. It's another, some of the other, he, he, he was able to do it. He's got to be from God. No, he can't be from God. He did it on the Sabbath. And they went back and forth. Now, again, who's really blind here? Do you see the vision? If you pardon the expression, <laughs> you see the vision. But again, they're having a debate, and they finally confront the man. All right, render an account. Render an account. Tell us what happened. Be clear. Well, he, said, he told them the whole story again. He, I was there. He put clay. I went. I washed. I came back able to see. Well, uh, what do you think about this guy? Who is he? Uh, well, he says he must be a prophet. Whoop. Did you hear that? We've gone from... Some dude they call Jesus, where is he? I don't know. Now they're turning, they're tightening the screws on him a bit, and they're saying, you, you're kind of in trouble because you got a healing on the Sabbath, and you kind of cooperated with it. Who do you think you are? And he starts to reflect. Well, this, this Jesus can't be just any ordinary guy, some dude, some man they call Jesus. So uh, he must be a prophet, someone who speaks for God. So they're, they're making him go on record. And um, so he's making a little progress. But notice, it's the persecution. It's the pressure. It gets him to think a little more. Who could this be who did this for me? All right. Now, the next stage, they turn up the persecution. And it really, in the worst possible way, I think most of us could imagine a scenario where we were told to, uh, you know, to, to not, you know, to not worship Jesus or to, to do something wicked or evil, and we could resist on our own. And we would say, I can't cooperate in this. I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. I won't cooperate in it. But then someone says, it's not just you that are going to suffer. If you won't do this, we're going to punish your family. We're going to punish your father, your mother, your sons, or your daughters. Your, we're going to punish your family. Or you might think, well, uh, if I really stand up, I might lose my job. And it's one thing for me to lose my job, but I've got to keep my family. I've got to keep a roof over our heads. So very often, it's not our own persecution that's the worst thing. It's when people we love, if something I do causes them to be harmed, all of a sudden, I'm going to think twice. So the persecution's really stepped up here. And they bring in his parents, and they put them on trial. Who is this? Is this really your son? Yeah, he's our son. Well, um, how, does he, how does he now see? I don't know. He's of age. Ask him. Now, the parents are afraid, it says in the text, because already it had been decided that people who followed this guy Jesus uh, or confessed him to be the Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. Now, most of you, Probably say, who cares, man? Get thrown out of a synagogue, man. I mean, it's like if I were to say, if you don't do the following, I might throw you out of this parish. You'd laugh at me. Say, who cares? <laughs> I'll find some other church or who cares? But listen, that's a very modern way of thinking. Up until very recently, I would say even within 100 years ago, your church community was your lifeline. There was no social security, no check government check coming or something like that. 
How did you survive? By banding together with other people. Think of all those immigrants who came to this country from Europe and other places. Their parishes were their lifeline. That's where they learned English. That's where they had a credit union. We used to have a credit union here because folks wouldn't lend to black folks. So they pooled their own money and said, well, we'll lend to each other. Credit unions. This was true with other ethnic groups. Irish need not apply. And so people grouped together in these parishes and they supported. They ran schools. They taught English. They provided financial assistance. It was your lifeline. You take that away, now you're really vulnerable. So if someone in Jesus' time was thrown out of the synagogue, you didn't just say, well, I can't go to synagogue on Saturday. <laughs> well, I guess I'll just stay home and detail my car. No. You, everything is cut. People won't do business with you. And so you, your livelihood is affected. Other people won't assist you if you're in trouble. You're out. You're an outcast. You're out. Every connection that you depended on is severed. So you see the threat here? This is a heavy threat. Don't make light of being thrown out of the synagogue, okay? This was a huge thing. This was their whole social safety net, so to speak, that we often talk about today. It wasn't government. It was synagogue. It was church. It was the temple. Be cut off from that, and just about every support system goes away. All right. So they threaten. They're threatened with being thrown out of the synagogue. So they just say, we won't answer these questions. Talk to our son. He's of age. He knows. He's an adult. All right. Now, they grab the guy again and bring him back. Look what we just about did to your parents. And they say here, then they put him under oath. They say, give God the glory, which is a way of saying, I put you under oath. I put you under oath now. We're you, we want you to render an account one more time. What did he do to you on the Sabbath? Who is this guy who did this to you? He says, do I have to answer you all again? Do you want to be his disciples? You were born totally in sin, and you're telling us what to do. You, you see, the, there's a lot of tension, a lot of persecution, and a lot of threats. And he says, well, all I know is that, you know, he, 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 you know, I was blind when I was born. I've never seen, and now I see. So this guy's got to be from God. And they, they explode. But look what happened to the man. He's persecuted. He started out by saying some dude they named Jesus is... Um, kind of opened my eyes, and now I see. Some, where is he? I don't know. Then he says, a little bit of persecution? Well, he's a prophet. But now, he's from God. He has to be. And he goes on and says to them, I don't understand. You're supposed to be the teachers. I'm supposed to be the student. Do I have to teach you? How can somebody open the eyes of him? It's unheard of that anybody ever heal the eyesight of a man born blind. Oh, I know. We can heal the cataracts or get some lenses and see straight again. But no, the man born blind, to give him sight, no one's ever done that. He's got to be from God. Do I have to teach you this? And they just get indignant and they throw him out of the synagogue. And I've given you, given you the, I, the meaning of that. Okay. He's cut off now. He's got nothing. No one will do business with him. He's lost. Jesus finds out about this and comes to him. And here comes then the key moment. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 
I who am speaking to you, I am he. You have seen him. He said, I do believe, Lord. And he fell down and worshipped him. Look what this persecution has done and how it's clarified his eyesight, so to speak. He had went and washed. He came back able to see, but he didn't see Jesus. He was able to see him, but he didn't see him. Some dude, they named Jesus. He told me. Where is he? I don't know. Some persecution. He's a prophet. More persecution. He must be from God. Now he's been thrown out of the synagogue. The worst persecution. And now he sees Jesus fully. And he, he doesn't just see some rabbi, some dude from Nazareth. He falls down on his knees and worships him as God. Calls him Lord. That's your journey. That's my journey. We gotta, we were able to see because of baptism, but we've got to stay in this long work of the Lord, this conversation. This gospel may have taken place over the period of a few days. For most of us, this is a lifetime. You know, some people go through lots of stages in their faith, and I'm afraid a lot of people are kind of stuck at Jesus as the ethical teacher, Jesus as the historical figure who did something historically that somehow is important for me. But we've got to make a journey further than that. He's not just Jesus from Nazareth. He's not just the ethical teacher. He's not just the wise rabbi. He is the Lord. And we've got to learn to see that and take him seriously. Oh, well, if Jesus were here today, and we just remake him in our own image, if Je Jesus would agree with me, Jesus wouldn't. All this, just open up the scriptures and hear the real Jesus. There are demands of discipleship. There are sins that exclude one from the kingdom. There are things he's against. He doesn't just affirm everybody. We are to take him seriously, not just because he's some wise teacher from the past who worked miracles, but because he's God. Jesus is God. And we've got to get to that place in our life where we're serious. We worship him as Lord, and we listen to him. And even if what he says doesn't agree with us, or even if what he says challenges our worldview because we don't see it that way, well, we've got to stop that and learn to see properly. And that takes time, but it needs to happen. And so we're all on this journey. This blind man is us, and the Lord rescued us, made us able to see, but now through stages, much of it related to persecution. we start to see more clearly that the world is wrong and God is right. So uh, this is your journey. This is my journey. You know, I have it on the best of authority that the blind man, as he left, he wasn't just singing Amazing Grace, he was. <laughs> but I have it on the best of authority that as he followed Jesus up the road, he was singing an old gospel song that uh, I remember Mr. Lewis taught me. Mr. Kenneth Lewis, he said, walk in the light. Beautiful light. Oh, come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, oh, Jesus, the light of the world. Yes, that was the blind man's song as he followed Jesus up the road. And it's our song too, it should be. 
Yes, walk in the light. Start to see everything by Christ. And to know that the world may dismiss or say, well, Jesus never really said that. In fact, he did. And we have to learn to say he did say it. And I have to believe it, even if it's not popular. Walk in the light. Beautiful light. Amen.